Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. So as you know, we've finally come to the end of our very long series where we've been working through the Lao Tzu and we are sad to bid him farewell. But the good news is that we're now going to be exploring the Chang Tzu. So what we thought we'd do in this podcast is just to introduce the Chang Tzu, um, who he was thought to be what era we, he was is considered to be from and how it's relevant to us today. But before we get into all that, just want to remind everybody that we have our new series of talks, The Apocalypse and You, coming up this Sunday. So it's only a few days away from this moment of recording. Very exciting uh, that Pete's going to be delivering four talks. So if you are interested, please do get in contact through our website, which you will find in the the write-up below this podcast. If you're listening to this after the series has begun or finished and you're interested in other live events, please, please do get in touch because we definitely have things planned for next year. All right then, Dr. Yates. So let's start with, give us a bit of background. So who was Chang Su, the one person or a collection of people? And what what era is this considered to be written in? And, and, and what relationship, if any, he had to Lao Tzu? And what is the historical context of this collection of writings? Chang Tzu is uh, surrounded with almost as much mystery as Lao Tzu. Even though in the case of Chang Tzu, it, do, it, it does seem, or there f- seems to be a fair amount of scholarly opinion that says there was such a person. Lao Tzu, we don't even know that for sure. There is a body of writing called the, the Chang Tzu. And uh, again, scholars think that the uh, the sort of central part of that, the, 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 the so sometimes called the inner chapters, were, were written by one person or a small group of people, and that was that was Chang Tzu. And the reality is, the, the, the scholarship's not conclusive about about any of this stuff. The dating's awkward and all the rest of it. We're looking at a few hundred years before the Common Era. There is, however, there's the official story. There's the myth, which of course is. This is how we've worked with the Lao Tzu. We've just tried to in- imaginatively inhabit the world that Lao Tzu shows us. We allow him to paint the picture of the world and his reflections on it. The world that he lives in and his reflections on it. And, and we've allowed ourselves to in- inhabit that by being imaginatively engaged as you would read in a novel or something of that order. But bearing in mind that there are sort of great philosophical reflections in the work. Same thing goes for, for, for the Chang Tzu. I think you, you have to imagine imagine his world as he helps you so to do. Yeah. And uh, but historically, yes, we we we're kind of pretty pretty in the dark, you know. But the interesting thing is that the philosophers of, of the time, and it was a, it was a, it was a, an epoch of many philosophers of China, you know, kind of 
heyday of Chinese philosophy, you know, and and they 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 commented on each other and took the piss out of each other. Uh, in the case of Chang, so he criticised the rest, you know, uh, with mockery and humour. <laughs> um, oh yeah, Confucius is often the uh, bears the bears the brunt of, of Chang Tzu's jokes and um, Mao Tzu and the legalists. Uh, these these were philosophical schools, and they were concerned with like political organisation and and so forth. You know, the way to be human. You know, in other words, that question, Socrates' question, in in that whole canon, looms quite large. You know. It, it, it's such a primordial question. It was going to pop up all over the place, uh, and if you do, you know, if you study comparative cultures and uh, take uh, deep historical dives, you find this that these things pop up and again and again and again and again. You know, and it is the question: How should life be lived? And Chang Tzu has got a lot to say about that, and it. Uh, as do all these other philosophers, you know, Mozart and uh, the legalists and uh, Confucius and so on. And of course, Lao Tzu, as we saw, was very, very concerned with that in both its kind of collective social articulation and, and also in its, in its individual and personal ramifications. It's like, how should we live? Well, it's how, how should I be? What's, what, what's the, the right moral... Um, more, most pleasurable, whatever it might be, but what is the way to live, for me to live? But also, uh, what is the way for people in general to live? In other words, how is society to be organised? And we get all this uh, in Chang in, in Tzu as well. I think he's a little bit, a little bit more fed up with the political situation than Lao Tzu, if, if that's possible. Is this considered to be written before or, or after this? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, again, I guess it's again, ultimately, we don't know. Yeah. For sure. You know, if you're really, you're really honest with the scholarship, you don't know for sure. But again, the accepted wisdom, the story, the official Deist church story is that he's, he's a disciple of Lao Tzu, you know, or. Ah. Or a disciple of a disciple, maybe, but but so in a lineage, it seems like a kind of a lineage, you know, uh, Lao Tzu, Chang Tzu, Li Tzu, and, and then masters, you know, it's a, a lineage of contemplative Taoism, and we'll look, we can we can kind of look at it like that, and you can see that uh, Chang Tzu is obviously deeply aware of Lao Tzu, though he never mentions the Tao De Jing by by name, the title is never used. He mentions. Lao Tzu, or sometimes called him Lao Tan. So it's various names for Lao Tzu. And uh, quotes lines that are either identical or very similar to lines found in the Tao De Jing, but he doesn't, doesn't men mention it. So he, he was aware of it, and so the chances are that this is a little later, 100 years later, maybe, or 50 years later, whatever. Um, it's definitely in the same. Neck of the woods. It's definitely in the same neck of the woods as a text. Would you say that the flavour of Taoism is is the same as Lao Tzu? It's a, it's a little different, and and again, scholars tell us that there, there are technical differences in in the the philosophy. Uh, I, I can't I can't tend to see them as being sort of quite quite close, you know. 
philosophically. Obviously, there's the idea of the Tao, of, of the, the ineffable Tao. You know, and I, th I think the way Chang, Chang Tzu uh, understands that concept is very similar to, to Lao Tzu's. You know, it's it, it, it's a quietist mysticism with with um, minimal methods. What sort of what a, a, an old yogi like me would call an anapaya, you know, uh, uh, techniques of consciousness expansion, <laughs> for want to do a better term, uh, which are very very light touch, almost very minimal, almost non-existent. Sometimes even non-existent. You know, it's, it's like the, the non-doing woo way. You know, well, this is this is, this is understood in the, the tantric and yogic literature. You know that there are means which are anapaya, which are without, without means without means. Uh, uh, and and about Changsu and uh, and Lao Tzu, sort of veer in that direction. Now there is a whole school of Taoism that goes in the other direction with many many elaborate uh, methods, like the alchemical methods of you know alchemical Taoism, which are very very similar to Indian and uh, Tibetan Buddhist tantrism. You know to the the the, the, the highly ornate models of the microcosm and the macrocosm and the elements and the energies and the airs and the, the, and, the, and the various very precise techniques like 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 the Tai Chi, you know, or like some of the the weird Atha Yoga stuff. They've got all that as well, and it's remarkable how, how similar all, all, all these are. You know, these these um, elaborate understandings and methodologies of spiritual practice. But Lao Tzu and, and Chang Tzu take the piss out of all that, really, to be honest with you. As do perhaps certain, if you, if you, if you kind of get a, get a taste of Anapaya, that's, you, you find that's where you want to go, you know, because... Uh, I mean, there is a realisation that if you stick your nose to the grindstone, spiritually that you'll, you'll that is what you'll do just grind your nose off you know and it's like like there is nothing to do but at the same time it's just it's incredibly easy to overdo overcook and burn and destroy and, you know so so I think I think that that situates him you know maybe I think um uh, I think if you can think in differences, I think he's a bit, he's a dropout, you know. He advocates tune in, turn All on. All the best people are. <laughs> he advocates turn on, tune in, drop out. Yeah. Probably say. And this is similar it's to Lao Tzu. why Alan Watts likes him. Yeah, uh, it's why Alan Watts liked him a great deal. And, and and the reason for that attitude, it strikes me, is really quite similar to, to Lao Tzu's reasoning. He's, he's, he's in as much as... He, li he lived in very, very troubled times and was disgusted with politicians, you know, and the corruption of the of the, the huge bureaucratic state, um, and the stiffness and formalism of Confucianism, the squareness. You would say it was square, you know. He, he, he's like Chang Tzu's hip. The rest of the, the philosophers of the time are really, really quite square. He's hip, and, and, and of course he's the one. He's the one that really survived. You know, you, you don't get hippies round on the on on the the green past, pastures of Harvard University, <laughs> sitting on the grass discuss, discussing legalism, unless they're kind of students of ancient Chinese. You know, 
But but the physics students and the the chemistry students and the literature students and the electronics students are all reading Lao Tzu and discussing it animatedly. And even more so, they're reading the, the Chang Tzu now, discussing it animatedly, two and a half thousand years later. Because there is a universalism to both these writers, and Chang Tzu really, really hits that. He, he, he can talk to anybody, I would say. And, and, and that's to do with his methodology, which is... Um, to, to employ humour, stories, strange stories, absurd, perhaps slightly absurd stories, quite a bit of hyperbole. In other words, he, he, he likes the fun thing of overstating his case. You know? Yeah. Uh, and it's very, very humorous. Lao Tzu, there is a dry humour in Lao Tzu. It's often thought to be very, very dear, very dry, very fed up. Wish they'd let him go because he's writing his book in the, in the fucking customs post and wants to get to Tibet to his nice dry cave. Have a meditate and then snuffy. And, but there's a, there's a dry humour, but in Chang Tzu it's belly laugh humour, you know, he's, <laughs> he's crazy and it's wonderful. And so that, that, how that was fed into the craziness of Zen, you know, into the, the more, the crazy, again, the non-square, the, well, <laughs> the non-square Zen, you know, the real, uh, 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 that craziness and humour was, was, the keynote was set by Chang Tzu for that and, uh, Certainly the excerpts that I'll be, be picking, I'll, I'll try and pick the funny ones, you know, the ones that, that bring a smile to your face. Yeah. Was that when, when this was written, do you think they were uh, designed or laid out to be read in a certain order, or do you think no. that, uh, that doesn't really matter? I don't, They're quite I, standalone I, things, I, I honestly they? don't know, but they do seem to stand alone, alone little stories. And the, uh, uh, What I've actually got is, I've got some collect. I've got a couple of collections, and they actually, they've so, the collectors have selected slightly different things, you know. Right. And this is what you get with you don't you don't go you go and buy you go into a bookshop somewhere and you, there'll be half a dozen translations of the Lao so You answer that with a Chang Tzu, you'll get some basic writings. Is what I got. Zhuang Zhi, which is another way of saying his name. Basic writings translated by Burton Watson. This is an old one, I think. I think it's like been nineteen. Why Trying to think when this was translated. Yeah, here we go. 1893. It's an old one. And look, it's by the language. And, uh, I've, cu- and I've got The Way of Chang Tzu, Thomas Merton, who I'll talk about because he's interested in his own right. Um, uh, there is order, but I don't think there's any... I, th- I think with this, the, the, there's not that much necessity to keep to it. And as, as we saw with the Lao Tzu, uh, with different manuscripts in which the the aphorisms are placed in completely different orders. Yeah. The the six the the, the manuscript that was found in the sixties, which um, Thomas Mayer thinks is, is is perhaps the most definitive version of the Lao Tzu. It's it's in quite a different order from all the other translations that you'll see, or the other versions that you'll see. In that manuscript, they were they were quite different. Quite a lot of the light ones were really early on, so I suspect something similar. Like, so I'm not a scholar of these these, these manuscripts or or the the Chinese or any of this stuff. You know, um, this, I'm I'm not I'm not doing anything in any way scholarly at all. What I'm what I'm doing is entering the story imaginatively, as I said, and allowing it to to stimulate me and. 
against my better judgment, um, then then sharing the results of, of that that stimulus with a slightly wider population. So when we were working through the Lapsu, sometimes we we turn to a new chapter and read it before we we went out and did our our podcast on it, and uh, we would be absolutely amazed sometimes because what he said was so incredibly relevant to the news of the day. Um, I mean, it was really quite startling sometimes. Mm. So, I mean, maybe it's only us that would read it that way, but <laughs> it certainly certainly made a lot of sense, yeah. uh, you know, and reflections of our uh, modern times. So is the Changsu similar? Would you say that it's still very relevant to modern day and all the, the events that are unfolding right now? Uh, I think so, actually. And, and it's to do with uh, Changsu's dropout nature, his hippie nature. And uh, that, that does arise out of a discussed with, well, the, the, the public discourse of his day, which he just thought was, it was stupid. I mean, he was, he was very sparklingly clever, you know, and he could say that they were dullards and he couldn't contain himself, you know, and just not take the piss. <laughs> you know, he's a bit like that, you know. Uh, but also, also, also the, I mean, there were terrible, terrible, ter- terrible times. It seems he lived through, and he did have a, just revulsion and disgust. And then he thought, well, they aren't. Well, it's just dropouts, you know. And it, and that was the sentiment that, uh, of, 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 of the hippies. You know, remember the, the hippie phenomenon. Like it kick, kicks kicks off in, I suppose, in in the West Coast of America. But probably kicked off in London for prior to that. Yeah, you know. Uh, as a spontaneous reaction of youth to what they found themselves growing up into and uh, the expectations that, uh, that were laid on them for when they, you know, when they got handed the keys to the front door, you know. And they looked around and thought, what the actual fuck? Because the, the, there was this terrible war in Vietnam, you know. And, I mean, in, so, in, it used to be called Indochina. Been in a state of war anti-colonialist war to start with since since before world war world war two you know i mean vietnam had, had a whole a whole kind of like i don't know half a century or something just war you know and of course the americans weighed in throw a few trillion dollars at it um uh destabilize cambodia a neighboring country in the process you know, resulting in kind of political instability, leading to a genocide, the killing fields, uh, and and still managed to lose and had to had to sort of flee from the roof of the embassy in helicopters. You know, and they were actually fighting a peasant army. Yeah. And, and with, with 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 what was the most. At the time, the most advanced mili- military in the world, you know, and they lost. So, the the hippies saw this, and of course they were being told. The American ones were being told, "Well, you're going to have to go and fight that." And they thought, "What the fuck?" As Muhammad Ali said, he says, "I haven't. Uh, I'm not going to go to to a country to, uh, many thousand miles away." To kill brown people who I've got no quarrel with, who I don't know, who are brown people just like me. On behalf of people who've been giving me a hard time all my life, so fuck you. And he went to jail. 
And, and for the hippies, it was, it was similar. It was this, this disgust, you know. And, and nobody could say why forward. I mean, the, 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 you could you could say that that youth revolution, which lasted like about five minutes and then became style, they found out they could make profit out of it. Was pretty well what Chang Su did. He, he looked around. He thought, "Fuck this! I don't want anything to do with it. These people are not. I'm not. I don't even belong to the same species as these people by the look of it. They're insane. I'm fucking off." <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that's what a lot of us did. And you know, so the quarrel there is: well, you know, is it, is it drop out alternative society, build your own reality in a in a rural commune, you know, or is it get or is it dive dive deep into the politics? You know, for a lot of people, the politics was just hopeless. It was so captured, there was no room to manoeuvre there for a better world. And. Uh, even even the ones that went along the political route who took the choice and thought, well, no, it's po- politics is the way here, rather than drop it, you know, dropping out, being a Deist, or going become a Buddhist monk, you know. Um, now we'll, we'll go around the politics line. They, they got they didn't really get anywhere overall, you know. I mean, there were some advances. Don't get me wrong, there were advances and very very hard won advances, civil rights, so on. But. As far as changing the basic structure is concerned, the, the hippies were right when they said to the politicos, you won't pull that off, it's, it's not going to happen. And it didn't. Most, and then most of them retreated into private life or, or or went for, if you can't beat them, join them. You know. So Chang, Chang Tzu, obviously that's, that's, that was a feature of our era. All that was like 50 years ago, you know. But but it's but it's not like that, that that impetus hasn't rolled on, you know. It's in many ways the world's got better, in many ways it's got a lot worse. You know. And it's it feels, I would say now, politically, slightly more hopeful. But still not very hopeful. And you, you and, and I think you can forgive people for retreating into private life. Or uh, for taking the line, well let's just go and build an alternative, let's build the alternative. You know. I mean, there are, there are problems with all of those ideas, you know. Chang, that, that helps you to situate Chang Tzu, and that speaks to our times. And I think that's a big question that younger people, particularly, are struggling with, you know. And he, he, his answer was, was fuck it, I'm going off, I'm just going to go, go and meditate, you know. Burton Watson. said an interesting thing I actually underlined it in his introduction you know he said uh, um, uh, Chang Su apparently lived in, in, in what is called the state of Song S-O-N-G which is he was in southern, southern China and he said that Song led a precarious existence constantly invaded or threatened by more powerful neighbours and in later centuries, its weakness was greatly aggravated by incessant internal strife. The ruling house of Song, possessing a history unrivalled for its bloodiness, even in an age of disorder. So that was Chang Tzu was a man of Song, you know. So I'm, I'm guessing there's that kind of political disgust, you know, and disengagement, which the mystical type. I mean. <laughs> 
Thomas Merton says, I, I recognise Chang Tzu because he's like me, he's a mystical type. I'm a man who wanted to live the life of a monk. Thomas Merton was a, was a Catholic monk, a Jesuit, who spent a lot of time studying uh, f Far Eastern religion, culture and so on. Uh, became very, I, I don't know, just certainly very knowledgeable about Zen and experienced, you know. Kind of, he's one of those Jesuits that dove, he, he, he dived very deep in and almost went native. Don't think he did quite go native. If you read his stuff, the Catholicism like slips out every now and then. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's a bit like when Brian the dog starts barking at the postman. <laughs> you know, there's some, some kind of instinct he can't, he can't keep in. But Thomas Merton. Um, Recognising Chang Tzu like a type, you know, of the, the meditative man these days, the meditative woman. Somebody who's just, that is what draws their focus and their energy and their attention and their concern. That's what matters to them in life, you know. Is, uh, and that leads to a kind of fairly solitary existence any, anyway, you know, and politically disengaged, you might say. Now, whether this is down to a type or to disgust is another matter, you know. But I think there are political things in there, definitely. Oh, well, I'm particularly looking forward to this because I haven't uh, examined the Chang Su very much, so all this is going to be uh, refreshingly fresh <laughs> <laughs> to me. And uh, yes, I'm sure uh, very interesting. I'm looking definitely looking forward to the uh, the, the humour and the uh, the stories. Although I am familiar with one story, it's a, 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 it's, it's excellent the uh, the maybe story. And I yeah. used to I told this in my yoga classes to um, to adults and children, and uh, that they all got a lot out of it. So um, I do know that one, and it yeah. is exceptionally good and useful. Yeah, I've got a and I have to remind yeah. myself of that quite frequently, and it does help keep. You sane, I find. <laughs> yeah, it's good for that. So I hope everyone found that interesting, and uh, I hope you're looking forward to this this new series as much as me. And we will get on that. And with the first episode probably be coming up uh, next week. So we will speak to you then. <laughs>